Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our teacher. Open our hearts today to the things we so desperately need to know. Thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're talking about today is of critical importance. And I know we can say that about everything Jesus says. <laughs> but I, I get to these things and I think, man, this is it. <laughs> Last week was it too, but this week is it. Uh, and uh, I think that in some ways this week is, is one of the most, among the critically important things Jesus says, this is one of the most critically important things for people, especially in the United States, who have been raised in a world of uh, unprecedented prosperity. We need to know what Jesus teaches us about treasures. And let me say to you that you are being catechized by the world. You're being taught, you're being preached to, you're learning values. Everybody gets taught. Everybody gets an education. Everybody gets a spiritual formation. It's just a question. I mean, you, you have one, right? Your spirit has been formed. Your values have been formed by your, by your background, by your parents, by your schools, by what you've watched on TV, by the, the world you've inhabited. You have been formed. And the only way we get formed rightly is if we pursue a countercultural direction. Or else we just, there's a, there's a current that pulls us along. Like I said, it catechizes us into the values of the world. And this is nowhere more true than when we talk about our possessions and our treasures here in the United States. Here's one of the most blatant examples of, of our, our world's catechism that we take for granted and don't think much about. Now this comes from, we used to see this in Kentucky. This is an online picture, but this is, we used to drive past this billboard in Kentucky that had something like this on it. Can you, can you see that? The girl with one shopping bag, happy. And then it shows her, this is a bank commercial actually. It shows her with six shopping bags and it says happier. And Olivia and I used to drive by that and talk about how we hated that billboard. Because it's an utter lie. A disastrous, destructive lie. In the, at least last week we talked about lust and pornography and things like that. At least with those kind of things, as bad and as prevalent as they are, most of us know that blatant porn is bad, even if we have trouble getting away from it. We look at stuff like that and we think, oh, that's normal. Yeah, yeah, boy, that would be nice. And the message that's being preached to us is make more, spend more, get more, you'll have the good life. And that is a false gospel. And it's a gospel that we hear preached, implicitly at least, if not explicitly, all the time here in our world. And I think about what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, when he deals with the famous passage that says the love of money is the root of all evil. We don't often think about the next part of that passage that says, it is through this craving that some have strayed away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's what's on that billboard right there. On that bus. 
It's sorrow. It's piercing ourselves through with many sorrows and not understanding that we're doing it at the time. And that is what our world preaches to us. Get happy this way. When in reality, we're destroying ourselves. I want you to to pay attention to what Jesus says about this. First, let me just briefly review where we've come from. In the Sermon on the Mount, we started with the Beatitudes and the blessings, those who are well off in the kingdom. And then we went through these six areas of of, uh, what we called extensions of the law, where Jesus talked about the law, but then talked about taking it a step further, or at least the current understanding of the law and how it has to go deeper. And uh, we, we went through the teaching on murder and anger, adultery and lust. We didn't talk about divorce. And let me just tell you that uh, that's very important. There's a longer teaching on that in Matthew 19 that we're going to come to later on. It'll be next year when we come back to the rest of Matthew when we get to that. But we want to spend time on that, but we, didn't. we have to make some choices here. So we're choosing to save that for, for later on. Uh, dealt with swearing and speaking the truth and then... Uh, with retaliation, loving our enemies, and love and hate. Charles talked about those last two together. That was the, the, the law section of this, of this sermon where Jesus talks about extending the law. Now we're moving on into practices of piety, devotional practices. And Jesus lets us know what the dangers are there. This is another part we're not going to spend long on today. I'm summarizing right here. The first half of Matthew chapter 6 teaches us to guard against hypocrisy. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And he gives three examples of ways we do that through devotional practices. Giving, praying, fasting. And he says all of these practices, you can do them not with your eyes on God, but with your eyes on people. And Jesus says when you do that, you have your reward. It's the reward that people give you, but it's not the reward that your father gives you. That's the hypocrisy. We act like we're really devoted to God, and what we're most devoted to in reality, it's other people looking at us and thinking something about us. And Jesus says, you've got to reorient your mind. You've got to do something different with the way you're approaching people. It reminds me of what he says in John when he says, how can you believe He's talking to people who obviously don't believe in him. How can you come to faith when what you want, this is paraphrase, what you want is glory from people more than the glory that comes from God? And what we learn from Jesus is that, is that this thing that comes so naturally to fallen human beings to just seek the approval of people, what we learn is that it is an impediment to kingdom life. It can be a basic uh, basic barrier to faith in Christ, seeking the approval of human beings. And I just want to urge you, we don't, like I said, we're, we're making cuts here, and we're not spending a long time here. We want to urge you not to let human approval be one of the things you treasure. We're talking about the treasures of the kingdom. Don't treasure human approval. It cannot be our primary aim. It cannot even be our major aim one of our major aims when we are following Christ. There has to be something that's more important than than that to us. Okay, so now we're going to get to the part, the second half of this chapter is where we're going to focus our attention today. And Jesus says very directly, talking about treasures, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now let's just stop with that and, and hear those words. 
And let me just ask you, have you taken that command seriously? Because it's very clear, and this is not the only time Jesus talks about it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, we need to nuance this, and probably we need a, a much longer study setting for everything we're talking about in these sermons, where we could talk through the various issues. I don't think that we want to indicate to people you can't have any possessions, that you have to take a vow of poverty, that you can never enjoy things that God gives as gifts to us. No, that's not true. Jesus benefited from the wealth of people around him. And he enjoyed some things that they, they gave to him. He was supported by them. So he wasn't opposed altogether to people having some good things. But what he always called us to was a different world than what most people were living in with regards to, to possessions. And so please, you know, we can't nuance in every way here. And, and there uh, would be a much longer discussion to be had today. I don't want to just burden people with guilt here as we talk today. Understand that... that uh, I don't believe Jesus means to condemn the enjoyment of all good things, but he does come against the tendency to arrange our lives around treasures and to hoard things for ourselves. And we'll, we'll see more of this as we go. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. And his first point is, these things don't last. Where moth and rust destroy things that, that moths can eat, like clothing, Rust destroy, like, like treasures. For us, it might be like automobiles. And where thieves break in and steal. These are things that we can lose. And you see, and we're going to get to talking about anxiety here in just a minute. Uh, you see how this could be related to anxiety? Because they're so uncertain. And these things can be lost. Jesus says, don't lay them up. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now we just want to hear what Jesus says here, and, and the, the countercultural move that he's making for so many people, especially today, but even in his own world, don't lay up your treasures on the earth, but instead place treasures in heaven. It reminds me of the parable that Jesus told one time when somebody asked him to settle a, a financial dispute, and instead he told him a parable, and he said, there's a man who had a barn, and he thought, I'm taken care of. I'm, I'm in good shape. I've got tons of stuff. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barn, and I'm going to build, build bigger barns. And Jesus said, God came to that man that night and said, you fool, this night I require your life from you. And what good did the bigger barns do him then? Now, I remember, I think it was Richard Foster who said this, I read years ago, he said, talking about the guy who builds bigger barns, he said, we would call him prudent. God called him a fool. And we just have to stop and ask ourselves, have we accepted as normal, maybe as wise, what is a complete deviation from the values of Jesus? Now, look, I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad to have some savings, all right? And uh, as Dallas Willard says, um, something like this, one of the poorest ways to help the poor is by becoming poor yourself. 
And so um, that's not, not what we're after. Um, and if we're thinking about helping the poor, we don't want to try to just go out and become poor ourselves. And uh, being taking some, some steps to, to think about our future is appropriate. But we just have to kind of call this stuff out into the open and say, wait a second. We might have been trained by people that haven't been trained by Christ when it comes to thinking about our possessions. And we may need to reorient our minds about these things. And let me just say very directly, we need to be moving towards simplicity and generosity. Not towards hoarding and consuming. And we live in what's called a consumerist culture where we are trained to consume all we want. And as the disciples of Jesus, we move towards simplicity and generosity rather than hoarding and consuming. Now I want you to notice this last, last verse here. For where your treasure is, that for I highlighted because it's directly related to what Jesus says. And I think we misread this passage. In light of what he just says, lay up for yourself treasures of heaven because... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see that? He does not say what I think we uh, think a lot of times when we read this passage. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And we read it as kind of an a, uh, evidential statement. A, a statement of evidence. Like, this shows where your heart is. You look at where your treasure is, and that shows where your heart is. That's, a good, that's good as far as it goes. That, that's, that would be a good thing. But that's not even what Jesus says here. It, it's not so much evidential as it is instrumental. That is, this is a means to something. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a way of directing our hearts into the kingdom. Let me see if if this makes any sense to you. You don't care at all who wins the Super Bowl. You say, well, I just, I don't, I'm not interested. Okay? Now, depending on your means, you may have to up the number. But let's just say, you decide to put $500 on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Now, all of a sudden, you probably care more who wins the Super Bowl, right? Your heart has followed your treasure in in very simplistic terms. You do the same thing with other things. Y'all, you don't care much about automobiles. Oh, go buy a Mercedes. And put a bunch of money into it to make sure it's nice and clean. And always, all of a sudden you start caring about that thing, don't you? Your heart follows your treasure. And what Jesus is telling us here is this is a way. You know how we talked about what he's wanting to do is transform our hearts. The Sermon on the Mount is about internal heart change. And yet there are steps we can take towards that. And one of the central steps we can take is by placing our treasures where God's heart is. And our heart will start to follow those treasures. And this is an invitation. The the, the first two fundamental things we can do, when we don't have much else we can do entering the kingdom, is we can pray and we can give. And both of those things are stepping into the kingdom. I can give my money and I I can be in prayer for people. And you may not even have much to give, but usually, unless you're in very dire straits, you can step into the kingdom through giving. And I just want you to receive this as an invitation from God. We say, yes, we want the kingdom life. We want the heart of Christ to be ours. We want to to live with God in the world. How about stepping in like he told us we could? 
and saying, I'll try the pathway of generosity and see if my heart doesn't follow there. Try putting tons of money into some impoverished kid or group of kids and see if you don't start caring about those kids' future. And start praying for them and see what happens to your heart there. And maybe you don't need the latest remodeling or the nicest new car. Maybe instead what you need is to give in the kingdom. And find then that your heart is becoming like God's heart. This is a beautiful, powerful teaching. And for some reason, well, I think I've already given the reason. It's a cultural, it's a cultural move that, that, that puts blinders over us. And keeps us from, from reading this passage and hearing what it actually says to us. We can know God and walk with God. And one of those ways, one of the beautiful treasures of the kingdom is we put our treasures where God's heart is. And we start to, to, be, find, we start to find our hearts illuminated with God's values. This is, this is wonderful stuff. Look, look at the rest of this little section here. A little bit strange wording here, something we're not familiar with. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if there's a, there's a play on the word here. It, it a lot of times gets translated healthy. The, the word really means something like whole, but it can mean generous. And I think Jesus is playing on this word here with us, getting us to think about having a healthy eye, but it's also a generous eye. The same thing you see, I've got bad there. If the eye is bad, the eye is evil. Have you heard of the evil eye? In antiquity, the evil eye was also associated with envy and greed and things like that. So it's a wordplay here. And he's staying with the context, talking about our possessions. If your eye is whole, if you've got a good eye that's also a generous eye, your whole body will be full of light. Now, there's, there's a different ideas about what happened with the eye in antiquity. And there's this, this uh, understanding of extramission or intromission. The idea we work with today is that light comes into the body through the eye. A lot of times what they worked with in antiquity was that there was light coming out of what was inside of us, reflecting what's inside us and shooting out <laughs> from us. Okay? And, and people debate which one Jesus actually meant here. But the, the point we want to get is that there's connection between what's inside us and what's in our eyes. Right? It's the internal-external connection that, it, that he's emphasizing here. And he's saying that, that if your eye is generous, if there's uh, the right kind of look in your eye, then your body will be full of light. But if your eye is greedy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Right? If, if you're blind, you're dark all the way through, right? And Jesus is saying that when you are greedy, when your eye doesn't have the values of Christ, then darkness is going to cover, who you, cover you up on the inside. Your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And what we want to say is that, that commercials like that, the billboards like the one I put up earlier, when we see that, we say, how great is the darkness? Not, man, I wish I could have that. That's blindness, it's confusion, and it's piercing people through with many sorrows. And then we get down to the point, the, the powerful point that Jesus makes in verse 24. Nobody can serve two masters. And then we learn that the issue here is not just a little ethical tweak. This is about idolatry. 
and money and stuff. The translation of mammon, we might say money slash stuff. It wants to be a God. It wants us to arrange our lives around it, to talk about it, to think about it, to seek it with all our hearts. That's what money and stuff wants to do for us. It wants to, to pull us in like that. And Jesus says, you cannot have it. You can't have two ultimates in your life. You can't have two points of reference in your life. You can't have something that you're centering on here and have something that you're centering on over here. It doesn't work. You're only going to have one center to your life. You have to choose. God and his kingdom, money and stuff. And look, this is about hating and loving God. These are central issues in the kingdom life. This is about the inside of us being lit up with the kingdom. And if we have generous hearts, the light of the kingdom is working in us. But if we don't, the light of the kingdom is not going to work in us. This is what Jesus calls us to with possessions. And I'm afraid we have so often looked the other way to this call. I want to read something to you, if you'll just take a minute and listen to this. This is by a lady named Barbara Crafton, and it highlights, I think, what happens so often to us in our culture. See if you relate to any of this, okay? We didn't even know what moderation was, what it felt like. We didn't just work, we inhaled our jobs Sucked them in, became them, stayed late, brought work home. It was never enough, though no matter how much time we put in. We didn't just smoke, we lit up a cigarette, only to realize that we had already had one going in the ashtray. We ordered things we didn't need from the shiny catalogs that came to our houses. We ordered three times as much as we could use, and then we ordered three times as much as our children could use. We didn't just eat, we stuffed ourselves. We had gained only three pounds since the previous year, we told ourselves. Three pounds is not a lot. We had gained about that much in each of the 25 years since high school. We did not do the math. We, we redid living rooms in which the furniture was not worn out. We threw away clothing that was merely out of style. We drank wine when the label on our prescription said it was dangerous to use alcohol while taking this medication. They always put that on the label. We told our children when they asked about this. We saw that they were worried. We knew it was because they loved us and needed us. How innocent they were. We hastened to reassure them it doesn't really hurt if you're careful. We felt that it was important to be good to ourselves and that this meant that it was dangerous to tell ourselves no about anything ever. Repression of one's desires was an unhealthy thing. I work hard, we told ourselves. I deserve a little treat. We treated ourselves every day. And if it was dangerous for us to want and not have, it was even more so for our children. They must never know what it is to want something and not have it immediately. It will make them bitter, we told ourselves. So we anticipated their needs and desires. We got them both the doll and the bike. If their grades were good, we got them their own telephones. There were times coming into the house from work or waking early when all was quiet, when we felt uneasy about the sense of entitlement that characterized our days, when we wondered if fevered overwork and excess of appetite were not two sides of the same coin. 
or rather two poles between which we madly salomed it. Probably yes, we decided at these times. Suddenly we saw it all clearly. I am driven by my creatures, my schedule, my work, my possessions, my hungers. I do not drive them, they drive me. Probably yes, certainly yes, this is how it is. We arose and did 20 sit-ups. The next day, the moment had passed, we did none. After moments like that, we were awash in self-contempt. You are weak, self-indulgent. You are spineless about work and about everything else. You set no limits. You will become ineffective. We bridled at the last bit, drew ourselves up to our full heights, insisted defensively on our competence, on the respect we were due because of all our hard work. We looked for others whose lives were similarly overstuffed. We found them. This is just the way it is, we said to one another on the train in the restaurant. This is modern life. Maybe some people have time to measure things out by teaspoonfuls. Our voices dripped contempt for those people who had such time. We felt oddly defensive, though no one had accused us of anything. But not me. Not anyone who has a life. I have a life. I work hard. I play hard. We're coming to the end here. When did the collision between our appetites and the needs of our souls happen? Was there a heart attack? Did we get laid off from work, one of the thousands certified as extraneous? Did a beloved child become a bored stranger, a marriage fall silent and cold? Or by some exquisite working of God's grace, did we just find the courage to look the truth in the eye and for once not blink? How did we come to know that we were dying a slow and unacknowledged death? And that the only way back to life was to set all our packages down and begin again. And then she says this, we travail, we are heavy laden. Refresh us, O homeless, jobless, possessionless Savior. You came naked and naked you go, and so it is for us, so it is for all of us. I don't want to guilt you this morning. I really hope that's not what you're taking away from this message. But I want you to know, Jesus wants us to know, that there is a different way to be. And sometimes, especially here in these United States, we have to say the message of Jesus is a wake-up call for us. And we can live differently with regard to our possessions. It's not wrong to enjoy some things, okay? There's, people have to work this out, and uh, I, I, there are gray areas, and I am not going to walk around with my ruler and say, well, you've, you've gone more than the, the specified length with what you can buy and enjoy. That, that's not my point up here. But I will tell you this. If the kingdom of God is not making a difference in how we accumulate, use, and spend, then it's likely the kingdom of God is just not making a difference in our lives.
because this is a big deal to Jesus. And like I said, it's not just here. Especially if you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll see how this is a major, uh, major issue of importance to Jesus. And I would just encourage you, in the, in the great mercy of God that he pours out upon us, step into generosity. There are ways to do it. Just step into it and see what happens to your heart as you do. Step into simplicity. Learn to live in a more simple way. Learn that you don't have to have the newest, the latest, the greatest things, and that there's, there's space to give when you start to live in simplicity. And, and have conversations. Let's, let's talk about this in our small groups, in our, in our, in our uh, church relationships, to help each other with this, because our eyes uh, are, are, are sometimes uh, getting blinded by the same, same things, and, and with our brothers and sisters, we can help each other. Let me just say, say something else here, too. Um, I'm not just talking about, I'm, I'm not trying to raise money for the church. <laughs> I hope you know that. Um, uh, sometimes that, I'm afraid we do damage to, to people's giving in the church because we have one time a year where we have Stewardship Sunday, and what it is is get people to give more money to the church so we can keep doing things in the church. And, and that, I mean, that's a good thing, and it, 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 there can be a lot of good from that, but, but that's not at all the limits of generosity in Scripture, and, and I'm afraid we don't motivate people. You know, you guys are paying my salary, and if I get up here and say, you need to be generous um, so that you can pay my salary, right, you're probably not going to be that motivated. And if you're thinking that, I just want to encourage you to, to just think about those three little girls who usually sit over there <laughs> singing their hearts out. No, no, you see, that's not what this is about at all. What, what I think we need to do, though, is, is realize it's not just an individualist, individualistic thing either. And we need, as a church, we need people who are gifted in this area, speaking of spiritual gifts, and, and leadership to come together and present things that motivate our hearts toward kingdom ends that we can do together. And I have seen generosity just overflow when the people of God come together and say, wow, look what we can do together to make a difference. Sometimes it's local in the church. Sometimes it may be internationally. But we say, wow, this is a kingdom goal. Let's do it together. And then we, we, we join together in living generosity. Maybe people sell things like they did in the New Testament and say, hey, I'm going to give. I'm going to sell my possessions and give. And uh, we come together with hearts on fire for God. And the kingdom doesn't just get planted in me, but it gets planted in us together. Or not in just you, but in us together. Okay, let's uh, look at the rest of this. I'll try to be, be brief. Um, see, this is directly related to anxiety. To worry. And so Jesus says, therefore, therefore, notice the therefore, talking about possession still. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Now let me make a qualifying comment here. Uh, this could be viewed as a very shallow and simplistic teaching. And it could be viewed as Jesus just comes along and says, hey, stop worrying. And we're like, okay, thanks. <laughs> I didn't know I could just stop worrying. Now, now I will. And I'll stop blinking, too. 
<laughs> that's what it might sound like. You know, that, that's not what this teaching is doing for us. And uh, we don't want to oversimplify it. And I also want to say, as someone who has deep anxiety issues, uh, there are different kinds of anxiety and different means to addressing different kinds of anxieties. And uh, especially if you're one who has, and I have, let me say, I have both kinds. <laughs> um, if you're one who struggles more with anxiety in, as a uh, severe attack kind of thing that can overwhelm you in a, a uh, physiological way, it's especially going to be a different teaching for you. I don't think that's the primary thing Jesus is getting at here. And that kind of thing may need a different approach. Um, so I, I have found that I uh, may need counseling. And you may need counseling. I have needed medication. And you may need medication. Uh, I have needed special times of deliverance prayer that have been very, very meaningful and helpful to me where people who know how to do this kind of thing take a long period of time and pray over me. And uh, that's something that you may need. What, what happens is, you see, is, is sometimes with anxiety, depression, and things like this, is you know, we're made to live at a balance, but, but through a, a pattern of, of, of whatever behavior, genetics, environment, whatever, we end up out of balance. And we're not really able to make many choices. At least we feel like we can't. And if you suffer with severe anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. You feel like you just can't make a choice. And what can happen, is, what we can do then is take special actions that can level us out. We still have to make choices then, or we end up back down like this. But, but we do sometimes need to be leveled off. I know I do. And so I want to just encourage any of you who may have a severe struggle uh, to recognize that there are other means of help. You, you still are responsible, but you may have to take a, a circuitous pathway to get to the, the root of the problem rather than going straight at it uh, because of, of the severity of, of your issue. And, and I just think Jesus would be very sensitive to that kind of thing. And, and uh, I don't want to, to misconstrue things here as I talk about anxiety. The other kind of anxiety is the more natural thing that's tied to our possessions, tied to the things we're just really wanting and we worry because, like, oh man, this is because our values are messed up, right? And that's really what Jesus is hammering here. Now, I'm not trying to excuse the other that I, that I struggle with on the severe side because, because uh, I, I think still I've, I've sinned, and, and that is part of why I've ended up where I have. But, but that's not the main thing Jesus is addressing here. He's addressing people with misguided values and, and who are swamped with desires to control things. Anxiety and control in this, in this realm always go together. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, just for an example, it's not about possessions with me, but I struggle a lot with... with uh, wanting to protect my children. And I have anxiety there that uh, I can handle more directly and that I need to handle directly. But because anxious people tend to be controlling people, I want to control what goes on with my kids because I love them so much and I'm tempted to treasure them more than the kingdom. And so just yesterday, we sent our kids, our three girls, with Donna uh, to, to Louisiana. They're going to stay with my parents. And you know what? I have to talk myself down when I do stuff like that because <laughs> I want to drive them myself. And I know it's not reasonable. I know that they are reasonably safe with her, but I just I don't want to send them. I want, I want to take them myself because I have, these are my more normal area anxiety issues, and I treasure those kids. It's not wrong to treasure our kids. We just can't treasure them in an unreasonable way because then it becomes idolatry. And so I have to tell myself, it's okay. God has my kids. I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to let them go. And I've been learning to do that. And because Olivia doesn't worry about anything, it helps me. And we just say, okay, they're fine. Go ahead. Uh, and so I've been, this is something I've been working on for years. So that, that's, uh, I hope that may help you see. That, that's, that can be one thing that, that is a treasure that gets in the way. But also 
obviously we're talking about possessions and, and money and stuff and things like that. Now, I've got to hurry. I've gone too long today. So let me just get to the, the heart of his teaching here, okay? Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, uh, what you'll put on. Your life's more than food. And it's a greater to lesser kind of reasoning he's using here. He's saying, God has given you your life. He can take care of your food. God has given you your body. Your body is the great gift, not your clothes. He can take care of your clothes. And then he says this beautiful thing, I think just gets to the, the, the greatness of Jesus Christ. He says, look at the birds. Do you ever look at the birds? Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap. They don't gather into barns. They just get up and go out there and there's food. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? I want us to look at the birds for just a second. Birds are beautiful. I didn't always understand this growing up. I thought I should shoot them with my BB gun. I'm sorry, that's a confession. It's through knowing God that I came out of that. Um, Jesus had looked at the birds. You see those birds? You see how helpless they are? Do you know how those birds get their food every day? Your father feeds them. They can't figure it out. <laughs> they can't fight off all the big predators. But your father sees those birds. And he loves those birds. And he feeds them. Read your gospel sometimes and notice how often Jesus talks about birds. In another place where, where he talks about our value, and this is really the point that, that he wants us to see here, uh, he talks about sparrows, tiny little sparrows. I think that may be a sparrow on, the, on my left, um, your left too. <laughs> um, these tiny little birds. And he says, not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing. And then he says, don't you know that you're of more value? than many sparrows. And this is the ultimate answer for the things we worry about on a regular basis, at least in the rational realm. <laughs> it's recognizing the value that we have to God. Recognizing our Father. Jesus understood this. And so he kept talking about our Father and his Father. If you read this context in the Sermon on the Mount... From, from the end of chapter 5 to the end of chapter 6, you have uh, the father mentioned, I think, 13 times. Your father, your father, your father, your father. That's not the way most people talked about God. But Jesus is wanting us to say, hey, this is your father. You can relax in the world because of your father.
Then he says in verse 27, you can't add any time to your life through worrying. That's just a wisdom statement. I'm not going to take the time to spend, spend there, but it's, it's worth considering that we're not doing any good when we worry. And then he, he goes on to talk about clothing. He says, why are you worried about clothing? Consider the flowers. These flowers that grow all over the place, they're glorious. Even Solomon wasn't clothed like the flowers. That's because Jesus had looked at these things. You can just see him out in Palestine picking a flower and staring at it up close. And if God takes care of the flowers that die and then just become uh, fuel for the fire, what do you think he's going to do for you as valuable as you are? Have you considered the flowers? Have you ever noticed the glory of flowers? And yet you are of so much more value to God than those flowers that he, by his hands, has made and placed on the earth. And he'll take care of your clothes. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now let me just stop right here and make... One important note. Jesus knew that bad things sometimes happen to birds. That didn't surprise him, and he wasn't naive. Generally, the birds are glorious creatures, and God provides food for them. And what he's doing, I think, is reasoning from that to who God is, to saying you can trust him with everything. He's not saying bad things don't sometimes happen. You, you look at the, the Gospels, you'll see Jesus was very aware that bad things happen to people sometimes. But if we serve a God who can care about birds and love the birds like that and can love the flowers like that and adorn the flowers like that, we can trust that God with our life. Usually he just gives us the things that we need. But even if we were to fall into some terrible horrific situation where we starved or something like that, we can trust him then too. Because a God like that is a God we can put our trust in. And we just have to understand the beauty of the God that Jesus knew and proclaimed to people. Otherwise, we don't even understand Jesus. So this is the last point here. I'm sorry, this has been way too long. Uh, Seek the, for all that For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But you don't seek after those things. Instead, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. And here's the question for us. It's what are we seeking? What are we pursuing with our lives? See, when you know who God is, you know what God values, you say, that's going to be the thing. Don't seek after material things. Don't arrange your life around those things. Seek the kingdom of God. And I wonder sometimes, if we did an honest evaluation of our life, what would it indicate we are seeking? We've already talked about how adults seek money and and pleasures and possessions. I think about what we're doing sometimes 
with our children? What are the values that we're teaching them? Again, I don't want to guilt anybody for what you've done with your kids. God's mercy is great. Um, and, and what I'm doing with my kids, too, I'm, I'm learning and growing. But I, I, I think when I look around and see the obsession today with all the activities, <laughs> with, and it's not wrong, okay? I know, I know that uh, we have various ones in different things right now, and we've had Sydney in soccer before, and not condemning anybody for any of that, nothing's wrong, but you see people just running themselves ragged to get to the ball games and the, the events and just wearing themselves out with these things. They're exhausted, and they go home, and, and, and they're, they're getting up the next day to try to do it again and get them through it. It's like they think somehow they're harming their kids if they don't get them to all these different kind of things and events on top of all the schooling. And I want to say, what about the kingdom? Who cares if they're great athletes or not? What about the kingdom of God? What's happening to their character when you have these kids and you get to Form them in Christ during this impressionable time frame. And what's going to happen to them when they're 30 or 40 or 50 and they're like me and they can't play sports very well anymore? What's going to matter to them then? What's going to bring joy and life to their existence then? And this goes, by the way, for education too. Uh-oh. I may have stepped on a holy grail there because we think, man, yeah, yeah, okay, I can say that about the games and stuff, but education. No, listen, the kingdom of God is more important than our children's academic success. It's not a bad thing, okay? I'm not condemning you for getting tutors and, and, and wanting good education, but, but it's far more important that our children know Christ and know how to walk with Christ than it is that they get into a good college and if they succeed in college, that is absolutely nothing compared to life with Jesus. Seek first the kingdom. Arrange your life around the kingdom. And leave everything else to God. And I say to you this morning that that is not, it's not a burden. It may sound that way when you first hear it, but this is the treasure that's buried in the field and Jesus said somebody discovered it and they sold everything they had because that was a treasure. That treasure is for us. It's an invitation. Be ravished and delighted and excited by the invitation of Christ into his kingdom. I'll leave it with you.